The Intrafish podcast is brought to you by DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, accelerating sustainable and profitable aquaculture. Hello, happy new year and welcome to the very first Intrafish podcast of 2023. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. John, happy new year. It is already starting off to be a busy year, uh, even in the first week. So we've just barely got our feet underneath us already. We've had a couple big M&As. We've had uh, plenty of chaos happening in the, the salmon farming industry as Norway's new uh, new ground rent tax has come into effect. Um, and big predictions about uh, the shrimp sector um, that are causing some heartburn there. Um, so we got a lot to talk about, but what we thought we'd do today for the listeners is just give you a rundown of kind of some of the key things that John and I see uh, uh, to look out for uh, by some of the, the major species blocks, um, because it is going to be a very, very interesting year. We'll also touch on, uh, on M&A a little bit as well and what kind of consolidation we might see. So let's kick off with salmon. All right, as I mentioned, Norway's ground rent tax, uh, which we've also referred to as a salmon farming tax, because although it applies to more than just salmon, it applies to uh, a couple other sectors in Norway. For our purposes, it's it's uh, it's a salmon farming industry that was was impacted. Now remember, the big issue here was whether or not. Uh, this was going to affect contracts going into the new year. Um, and already it's caused all kinds of chaos with contracts. Um, we, uh, John, you did a, a, an interview with, uh, with David Caslow. He's the co-CEO of Acme Smoke Fish. They purchase, as you can imagine, a lot of salmon. Um, and he had a lot of interesting things to say in looking back on the fluctuations in prices from the year prior. Um, but he also, like so many people, um, is really concerned about this uh, this tax, which could be upwards of forty percent uh, on Norwegian salmon farming companies. I there's I doubt it's going to reach that level. Uh, I think it's a process of negotiation now between the um, the salmon farmers and the Norwegian government in terms of how to bring that down to a level that uh, is is reasonable uh, because as you can imagine it's extremely complicated but John talk a little bit on the uh, on the supply side let's just let's just discuss what we what we think might happen coming into the new year last year we had record high salmon farming prices uh, farm salmon prices rather uh, and it it took a serious uh, a serious toll yeah I you know the first half of 2023 is really going to be interested, interesting in that regard. Um, as you mentioned, there's still lots of negotiation going on regarding the salmon tax, and nothing's really been finalized, I guess is the best way to say it, which is exactly the problem, uh, which is exactly what uh, you, you mentioned uh, Caslow's interview. Not just him, everybody who touches uh, farm salmon at this point. The uncertainty of what will unfold, whether, as you mentioned, it'll be 40% or will it come down? Um, will it apply 
to their final price will it apply to the NASDAQ price, which was the original proposal but has been backed off a little bit. It's just this massive uncertainty. Uh, and and I think when you look at this industry, yes, they had record high prices and record high profits, um, you know, last year. So what? So what? To me, it feels like they're being punished for that. And this isn't an industry that's taking those profits and running away and not investing back in itself. That's not, especially in Norway, that's not the salmon farming industry. They 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 make their money they invest back in and you know as we've written i don't know how many stories all the major companies have frozen these investments for the most part and they're in a wait and see because again there's just complete uncertainty where this thing will go and it doesn't matter if you're a farmer if you're a processor if you're a buyer on the wholesale side or you know a consumer even though they're they're not quite aware of what's going on here but they'll, they'll feel it so yeah that that's my takeaway so the first half of 23 uh, none of this is going to be sorted clearly enough so if you thought things were uncertain going into 23 they're going to remain that way as far as i can tell unless you see it differently drew no i i don't i mean there's no way when you think about how salmon has been typically purchased over the past several years um it's moved away uh, and this has been good for the entire industry is moved away from the spot market and moved toward contracts so three six month contracts what this does is it it helps food service companies smoke salmon producers retailers it helps them plan and it helps make uh, it help makes helps everybody plan in terms of what they're going to make on what is sometimes a product that has uh, thin margins depending on what you're selling. So um, so I, I think that what we've heard from particularly uh, smoked salmon uh, purchasers is that this is just absolutely unprecedented, um, and for them to have to go uh, purchase on the spot market, I mean, just just think about that. You know, I've got to go sell my smoked salmon to Costco. I need to produce massive volumes to supply that contract. And yet, I'm not really sure exactly what price that I'm going to get. Um, the ramifications are just huge. Um, I, You know, just looking at sort of globally what it might mean is when you pull back on all those investments... Um, you're going to see people looking at different areas and um, the companies themselves has, had said this. And I think at the beginning, um, I think at the beginning there was a sense that this was sort of theater, you know, that they were really trying to threaten the Norwegian government that, oh, we won't invest anymore. And then there was a lot of announcements that they would be pulling out um, of investments in Norway. And it seemed... Uh, coordinated, it seemed like a lot of lobbying, but those investments aren't happening. Um, so you can't go out and tell investors, uh, many of these companies are stock listed, you can't go out and tell investors you're not going to be putting money into something and then turn around and do a, a 180 that quickly and then change your mind. 
Um, so I do think that we're going to see a lot of renewed interest in Iceland. Um, and I, I think that even Australia and New Zealand, although they have all kinds of problems, um, especially with uh, climate change, um, I think there'll be new interest there as well. Um, Canada, Chile. If but I think I, I think this is I, I I agree with you that you know the the you have to go look for other areas if you stop investing in Norway. But man, I mean, Chile, are they really going to ramp up? I mean, they, they have a president who <laughs> has been an outspoken critic uh, of the industry. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe Iceland. Okay, we're seeing that. How much room is there to grow in Iceland? I really don't know. But we're talking about Norway. We're talking about the largest by far producer of farm salmon. There's not a lot of places they can export that amount of volume, uh, that amount of production, and and one get it going right away, and two get it going at all. You know, Eastern Canada, oof, maybe, but you know, the every time this industry tries to expand in in newer places or you know places that are uh, less mature. Uh, they tend to meet trouble, you know, in the way of opposition. So I agree with you um, that that is their plan. I don't think they're bluffing at all. I think they are trying to figure out where to grow, so to speak. But boy, they don't have a lot of places to go, in my opinion. No, you make a good point. And I think that the estimates from uh, depends on who you ask, but the estimates that have come through from uh, Norwegian uh, analysts um, and Kantali, that's a market researcher, is not forecasting a, a major amount of growth um, in the coming years. Um, but demand, as we saw last year, demand can still hold despite these prices. Um, and so, if, you know, like you said, there may be attempts to expand in these countries, but whether or not there's a reality, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot of geopolitics that have been getting worse and worse. Um, before we talk about the market, though, I, I want to, in terms of growth for salmon farming, let's talk a little bit about land-based production and about offshore production. Offshore production, I'll just quickly say a couple words, and, and that is that we're a long way away from producing significant volumes, and that um, there are still, there are, there are concerns about how offshore production will be impacted by the Norwegian tax rules. And right now, um, Norway is really the only place that's doing any uh, offshore salmon production of any note. Um there is, however, in Australia uh, and New Zealand, plans perhaps to, to do that. Um, there, there is maybe some openness to that in Scotland, uh, perhaps in, uh, in Canada at some point. Um, but, uh, but let's talk, uh, talk land-based, John. Um, we had a discussion in our uh, news team meeting this morning about this very thing. Um, does this open up uh, does this create renewed interest in land-based production? 
Well, I think it has to, to some degree, just because of what you said earlier about all this investment capital with nowhere to go on, on the salmon farming side since since the tax was introduced. So naturally, like you you mentioned offshore, naturally with land base being the, you know, the, the cool uh, technique du jour here, that they would be looking at that. I'm of the opinion that 23 is the prove it year for all these land-based operations. They've been chugging along, doing very little, very little, except taking a lot of money, making some promises, and producing a few fish. Now, I know people are going to blast me for this, for saying that, because they're going to say this new technology, it takes a long time, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. I understand that. But at some point, you need to kind of tip the scale, and they're not tipping the scale. In fact, I will argue they're going backward. A lot of these projects have not broken ground. A lot have uh, are meeting stiff, stiff opposition uh, by you know locals, etc. Um, I just don't see it. And if we look at Sapphire, you know. God bless them. I mean, they're out there. They're trying to do the, their thing, and they've had, you know, some sales and things. But they are kind of the model that you would need. You need, in my opinion, if you're going to really ramp this up, you need some some scale. And what I'm hearing more and more these days is you 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 can't big you can't build the big ones. You got to build these small you know, operations and dot them around the country. Uh, okay, that's a long walk up the hill, if you ask me, if, if, when you're trying to build volumes. So uh, I think this is a prove-it year for this technology, and would it, it would a massive influx from the Norwegians into this sector maybe propel it and, and be that, that change that it needs? Maybe so. Uh, do they want to do it? Well, they have a lot of experience in it. I mean, for getting them to the smolt size on land, they don't have, it doesn't seem they have the same interest maybe in going that next step when you grow them to market size. So I agree that it looks like it could be a, a good place to put their money. I, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I don't, I don't see it right here, right now. Well, what we do know is that you have to have investor buy-in. So the companies that are are showing actual broken ground and facilities uh, either are very small, or they're uh, they've they've raised money on the Oslo Stock Exchange. The ones that are listed, their timing was good to get onto the exchange because. Um, I don't think you're going to see any company being able to, uh, anytime soon, uh, uh, raise the kind of money that these other ones, um, that these other ones were able to do. Just looking here on some of the, the share prices and over the course of the past year, of course, you mentioned Atlantic Sapphire, the, the largest and, um, I would say the, the last great hope, maybe not the last great hope, but the big hope, um, if Atlantic Sapphire succeeds uh, and you start seeing some good news coming out of there, I think everything changes quickly. I think things bounce back again very quickly. I think people 
people want it to succeed so badly because they see all the drivers make sense. But um, I just, uh, like you said, John, I mean, it's um, so many issues and have made it so different than it was just a few years ago. Atlantic Sapphire down 84% over the past year. Uh, Proximar it's operating or, or building an operation in, in Japan down 43. Aqua Bounty is also doing uh, GMO salmon uh, and working on developing a land-based project here down 60%. So it's it's ugly, um, to say the least. Um, and, and this, this I'm sorry to interrupt, this parallels the uncertainty that the salmon tax has. Why are those stocks falling? Because there's uncertainty in this technology. It's unproven. So... Uh, you know, the, we we have come to a very odd point in my mind as we turn 2023. We have come to not believe in salmon, have, have some serious doubts about the future of salmon farming, what it's going to look like. And it, it kind of infuriates me because seafood, it, it, it's, it inflicts its own wounds on itself. It, it drives me nuts because... Salmon, up until this point, salmon has been a juggernaut when you look at the market. When you look at seafood sales, you salmon, salmon, salmon. It's outperforming everything, even shrimp. Year, year after year, for the last few years, and market after market. So you think we wouldn't screw that up. <laughs> but boom, here we go. We we. Norway comes up with this tax for, I honestly don't understand what the reason is, to be honest with you. It seems punitive to me. But they come up with this tax and boom, stop the train dead in its tracks. So, you know, these are self-inflicted wounds and it's it's hard to watch. But hopefully, you know, it's temporary and we, we get chugging again. Well, we do know that consumers are willing to pay a lot of money for salmon, so it's uh, it's not a demand issue. And even if growth does uh, does stall, um, there were some high watermarks hit last year that, um, if you're a purchaser, were extremely painful. Um, but there's a way to look at it, and that way to look at it is that there there is room for consumers to pay more for salmon. Believe it or not. All right, let's move on to shrimp, John. So uh, it's always uh, always interesting times for shrimp. It's um, a much more fragmented sector, of course. So um, the kind of stability that one usually expects of farm salmon um, isn't always there. Um, now, Rabobank just issued a new report uh, about the, uh, the, the outlook in 2023 for uh, for, uh, shrimp. Um, one of the things they looked at was the U S market and they see some real softness, uh, in the U S market. Um, now there's still going to be some, some big, uh, some big winners, notably the Ecuadorian shrimp industry that just, it's the darling right now. It's able to increase its production. Uh, it's opening up new markets. It's yeah, everyone is uh, everyone is in love with uh, Ecuadorian shrimp sector right now. But um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, about the market side of shrimp. So um, John, there's uh, obviously some headwinds in what shrimp 
uh, uh, shrimp farmers are getting. There's been a lot of frustration in different countries about that, uh, about feed prices. Obviously, there's going to be inflation. We've written a lot about feed price inflation. Um, let's talk about the market side of things. Uh, you've tracked uh, um, t- tracked this pretty closely. Um, uh, 210 Analytics has uh, done some uh, some uh, research on that, and it's not the best picture uh, for how consumers are uh, reacting to uh, to shrimp prices. No, it's not, and and uh, yeah, I mean. Welcome to the never normal year of shrimp once again. Uh, it's an industry that is amazing in its scale and scope, yet unbelievably hard to predict what will happen. And it it never made a lot of sense to me, but we're at that point again. We're at the point where for reasons, you know, myriad of reasons, Demand has softened significantly in major markets in Europe, North America, and at a time when production has been growing. (laughs) So that's a bad situation because now we're going to overproduce, as we've done countless times in the past. And that's not going to help the producers at all or the farmers because there'll be too much in the market. Prices will fall. You know, the same uh, scenario that we've seen over and over again. What would get shrimp demand booming again, or at least rising again? Uh, Don't know. I mean, certainly consumer prices have to ease on a product that consumers aren't buying anymore. So that's probably the likelihood. Um, Yeah, and it's just, uh, it's, it's hard to understand how this happens over and over again but you know there we we published this article i think today or yesterday and the headline is can shrimp farmers learn lessons from salmon growers and it's an interview with um uh dave danson he's at hendrix uh, genetics they're an animal breeding company and he talks about his experience in the salmon industry uh, as far as genetics and those types of things and how it compares with the shrimp industry and it's a fascinating story and i i encourage everybody to read it because i think if you want to understand the volatility of shrimp production globally this article explains it very well and it has to do with disease and feeding and all those things that are important but I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's worth a read because when you get done, you realize why salmon can pretty much be steady for the most part, or at least somewhat predictable. And shrimp, uh, God knows, you know, it goes crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're going to see whether, especially with Lent coming up, uh, the the Catholic holiday, which continues to be very important in the United States. Uh, We've talked about that on a past uh, podcast. John, you give a, a good breakdown, so you can jump in our archive if you want to learn more about the, the Lent holiday in the in the uh, U.S., the Lent period, I should say, and um, and why it continues to be important for, for seafood and shrimp in particular. Um, you know, we, we've, we've seen that when you have prices at the levels that they're at, a lot of times retailers will do promotions to, to try to generate interest uh they'll um and and suppliers that are sitting on 
uh, products sitting on them in cold store or wherever they might be. Um, there's some speculation that they're going to really need to push that into the market and in coordination with uh, with some uh, promotions and get that shrimp out there. Um, it, it has to get on the market. It has to get absorbed. It's about half a year to uh, to get a supply balance in place, uh, supply demand balance in place um, for shrimp. And remember, shrimp, it's not like salmon. There's no spot market. You can't go out and um, you know, buy massive volumes of shrimp just uh, as they get harvested. That's not how it works. Shrimp has to be frozen and shipped all around the world, uh, and it's um, yeah, it, it's a it's a complex sector. So it it'll be an interesting one to see uh, how it how it goes. I do think there's going to be momentum uh, for consolidation. It remains really challenging to do so, but. Uh, but I do think there will be uh, some of that. I would hope, uh, I'll be writing a, a commentary with some, some predictions on this, but uh, so I won't go into that too deep. We can talk about that next time we do our, our podcast next week, John. But, uh, but I do think we might see some larger players maybe stepping in a bit more into the actual shrimp production side of things. I think somebody is going to be willing to take a, a risk there. So, uh, yeah. Let, let's see how that goes. All right, so moving on from shrimp, let's now talk about whitefish, John. Um, what a year for whitefish. Um, if you want to see some expert opinions on it, I really recommend you go to uh, our Seafood Outlook series. We've talked to some, uh, some executives on what they see for the new year uh, coming up, the projections that, that they have for it. Um, and the, the biggest the biggest consistent thread we've seen is taking a look back at 2022 U- Ukraine invasion was so disruptive to uh, the the entire seafood industry of course but n- none more I would argue uh, not no sector as much as whitefish why well part of it is that Russia supplies a huge, huge volume of Atlantic cod and Alaska pollock into global markets. So immediately you had that effect right away. Now it's still making its way into markets via China, um, you know, but it's, it's certainly um, not being embraced with open arms. People are looking for alternatives to it. Um, and uh, there, there's been a, a massive shift over the course of the past year, and that will continue. Um, one of the interesting things, one of the interesting results in, uh, that, that we saw last year was a major spike in interest for Pangasius, um, which, you know, if you remember, had a huge run of success in the mid-2000s, um, and then kind of peaked and crashed and folks lost interest in it on the consumer side in Europe and uh, in North America uh, after some quite a bit of negative press. But um, it's back. And so I think we're going to see some really interesting things happen there. Uh, maybe some uh, more major companies committing to it already. Uh, Bird's Eye Igloo, which is the world's largest frozen food uh, supplier now and the world's largest frozen fish supplier into retail now 
they made the switch and uh, from significant volume of its uh, raw material to pay gaseous. Young Seafood, uh, largest seafood company in the UK, also uh, has been purchasing uh, higher and higher volumes, and you're just you're going to see that more and more. We haven't really seen that happening in the U.S. yet. We haven't seen any major frozen fish manufacturers making that switch, but watch this space. Uh, I absolutely think it'll it'll happen. Um, John, what else on the whitefish side is is uh, is coming down the pike that you see that might affect the industry uh, in the coming uh, coming months? Well, I mean, largely it's the the Russian situation. Um, you know, when it comes to pollock production, they're they're largest in the world, and um, that whole supply chain has been disrupted. So. Uh, how that shakes out, what effect that'll have on prices um, as they try to move product to markets that they're uh, probably not accustomed to selling to necessarily. Will that drive prices down? Hard to, hard to know, but I think until we get some resolution of that situation, <clears throat> the overall whitefish market is going to be uh, turbulent, you know, disturbed, so to speak. Um, in Alaska, when you're talking whitefish, you're talking Pollock um, specifically. Um, you know, there's a lot of new energy around bycatch um, limits. Um, uh, salmon are caught as bycatch in, in Pollock fishing, and um, it's it's become acute in many people's mind to the point that uh, there needs to be a lot more done. So um, probably nothing immediate there, but, you know, there's energy building to address that and what impact that could have on uh, quotas or uh, fishing areas, uh, you know, it's unknown at this point. So I, I see those, uh, I see this Pollock situation as, you know, unsettled uh, a little bit, but maybe by the second half, we'll have a better feeling of, of what's going on. Now, I will say on the market side, Pollock is, is in a pretty good position being a more affordable, I mean, less than it used to be, but more affordable uh, whitefish protein. Um, and I, I, there has been a lot of effort in particular on the domestic U.S. market um, to, to build more consumers for it. And so I, I do think that's something to watch as well. Um, in particular with, with more Russian whitefish going off the U S market as well. Um, it could be, we could see some big shifts there and there is a, there is a continued effort to try to, um, get more people to embrace Alaska Pollock. On the cod side of things, I mentioned earlier, it's similar. We have the Russian issue. Um, a lot of Russian uh, cod is landed in Norway. I don't think we've seen the end of Russian polit- or sorry, uh, Norwegian politicians uh, pushing against the idea of, of Russia uh, landing its uh, and offloading its product in Norway. Um, politically, a lot of people saw that that would... Um, impact a lot of uh, jobs in Norway if Russia wasn't allowed to offload its its fish in Norway and then have it processed and, and shipped on. But still, I think there's... Obviously, Ukraine is... Uh, Putin's showing no signs that he's going to let up there. As reporting 
uh, continues. Um, there is just more evidence of the atrocities that are happening there. Um, and that, that will, I think, continue to um, rub on, in particular, the European Union. Um, remember, this is right in their back yard um and so it's um that's not going away uh anytime soon so you're you're going to see i think especially norway so focused on human rights um that that they're going to continue to put pressure uh which could have a significant effect uh on uh russian supplier there's the suppliers there's a lot of shipyards now refusing to service russian vessels so all of this, all of this stuff in aggregate is 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 adding up to problems, um, but there 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 could be um, perhaps some more um, severe uh, severe implications. Now on the market side, cod has also been uh, extremely expensive. Um, where salmon goes, so goes uh, fresh. Where fresh salmon goes, so goes fresh uh, cod, typically. Um, and so you, you have seen on the, on the market really large spikes in, uh, in cod prices, uh, as the Norwegian, uh, season picks up here, uh, as, as, uh, as things start to really, um, get in full force, especially on the fresh side, we'll get a better, uh, a get better sense of that, but there's really no signs that it's slowing, slowing down. Um, if you look at uh, Norwegian export statistics and, and prices going up through the end of the year, um, they took another big leap on the both the fresh and fro- well, frozen sort of bounced around a little bit, but remains extremely high compared to where it was in uh, in 2021. Um, but on the fresh side, really spiking heavily toward the end of the year, uh, moving into 2023, and that's that's probably not going to uh, to change anytime soon. Yeah, uh, there's really nowhere to hide for a consumer right now no. when it comes to seafood. I mean, you're not going to touch crab for the most part um, because there's little of it, and what there is is pricey. Um, you know, you just said cod, uh, salmon, shrimp. Uh, hopefully, shrimp will be turning down. You know, turning around, coming down, but. Yeah, it's it's asking a lot of a consumer right now to buy seafood at these prices. Of course, everything's more expensive, right? We've all been to the grocery store in the last six months, and you know our eyes bulge out out of their sockets because it's just like, holy what? So, um, but you know, seafood does you know. I buy meat every week. I won't buy seafood every week is kind of the way Americans at least uh, go about their business. And um, so seafood doesn't have that protection of being, you know, an automatic in the shopping cart. Excuse me. But so these high prices aren't aren't anybody's friends, you know, to state the obvious. Right. I mean, you bring up crab, John, and I think that's, um, as you said, just getting – Getting crab is is going to be a massive issue this year. Getting just shellfish in general is going to be problematic. You know, we all we know that uh, the the U.S. lobster sector is having its challenges with its uh, sustainability certification and uh, Marine Stewardship Council certification, which has been suspended, um, and and NGOs kind of. Um, coming after uh after that sector so that's going to continue that's not going away anytime soon because 
um, whale entanglement uh, and, and um, the population of the North Atlantic white whale, white right whale um, continues to be uh, continues to be of major concern. Still going to be issues there. And on the crab side, um, again the, the the Bering Sea, the Bristol Bay Red King crab fishery, really in trouble. Um, and uh, I th there has been. Uh, projections by researchers in Alaska that we're not we're not looking at a couple of seasons uh, of challenges in the Bering Sea. We're looking at years before that population recovers, which is really scary. Um, but what that means is is really really high prices for crab. Um, people will be looking for alternatives, so I think you can expect to see more um, southern king crab on the market. Uh, I think you can uh, expect to see uh, Norway um, maybe lifting up its quota for its king crab, which is, um, is a, an invasive species uh, that was uh, transplanted from the Pacific to the Atlantic by Russian, um, Russian researchers years and years and years ago. Um, so we'll see uh, how that works on the market. Whether or not snow crab from Canada will be uh, will be a beneficiary remains to be seen. So yeah, as you said, John, shellfish isn't looking like it's going to be a walk in the park for anybody uh, anybody either. So no, and and one one last thing, Drew. I I when we look at twenty twenty three, I I can't look forward without looking at plant based seafood alternatives. Well, you beat because, me to the punch. I was just uh, about to bring it up. <laughs> well, luckily we uh, two ten analytics, um, which uh, tracks and deciphers IRI retail data for the U.S., just began tracking sales of these products. Most of the seafood um, alternative products are fro in the frozen category, and so they're easy to track. And so we'll have that data going forward every month, which is fabulous because we finally can get a true sense of what's going on in that market. But I will say, in my opinion, 2023's another um, a pretty major pivot year for this sector. I expect to see consolidation. I expect to see more buy-in from the traditional seafood sector in the sense that they'll be carrying these products or distributing them through some partnerships or whatever. So I think... Um, the the fragmented plant-based situation we have right now which gets more literally more fragmented every day it seems there's a new producer of you know plant-based x or y so i think 2023 certainly by the second half there's going to be some shake out there and um it'll be interesting to watch i i don't these guys aren't going away it's just a new part of the seafood category, um, whether we like it or not. I know some people don't. So, um, but yeah, so that's, I wanted to roll that out of my head before I forgot it. No, I, I was, as I said, I was just going to mention that and mention um, cell-based seafood as well, cellular aquaculture, cellular seafood, however, whatever you want to call it. Um, now it's not going to be on the market in any, any kind of, major or even minor way. Um, however, I bring it up because I do think what we will see is we'll start to see even more investment going into 
uh, lab-grown, uh, cell-based uh, seafood. And I think a lot of money. Let's not forget Jeff Bezos's um, uh, fund uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio dumped loads of money into a wild type that's uh, working on growing cellular uh, salmon. They're down in San Francisco. A lot of money. It takes a lot of money to do the research and get these things uh, moving. So we're we're a long way away from seeing it on our shelves, but this will be a year where we're going to see a lot of investment going into it. I believe. I think the the hundred million that Bezos and DiCaprio put put in uh, to wild type. I think we're going to see a lot more of those kinds of big big investments into Aquatech, into uh, cellular. Uh, into ways to make the aquaculture and seafood production industry um, uh, more uh, geared toward the future. Now, I said also M&A consolidation. Uh, great story out today by our colleague Hannah uh, Gazelius on Intrafish looking back at 2022 uh, and all the deals that happened. Then it was a record year by our count. Uh, for deals, uh, M&A and investments. Um, and I imagine that it's, even though there's going to be a global slowdown, clearly, um, that's also a time when there can, can be some, some deals out there where people do look to sell out. Um, so I, I don't expect we're going to see any slowdown in, in that. Uh, and as I said, I'm not going to give away the ghost on my commentary because that's not fair. Uh, and I'm not going to let you say anything, John, because, again, you'd be stealing my thunder. But uh, next week we'll talk about uh, who might be uh, the, the big actors in 2023, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, because we already know who was in 2022, and we can speculate who's got the money and the appetite for, for growth. But there will be more, no doubt. Um yeah, I, I think in, in overall, I you know, we've been a pretty negative, John, <laughs> I think about 2023, but I think anybody in the seafood industry will tell you that the overall long-term trend, uh, it's undeniable that it is, uh, it is upward. I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, seafood is food. It's a protein. Um, and I know that uh, companies looking to raise money constantly throw out the FAO projections on aquaculture uh, production and demand, but you know they're they're right. The the world is is getting more crowded. There's going to be a lot more people. They do need to eat. So uh, from that macro perspective, I do think seafood's pretty well placed. I think if you look at the height of the pandemic, it did show that. Um, besides, of course, food service being hit heavily, there were a lot of shifts, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a collapse in the industry. Um, so, you know, I think that's one, that's one positive takeaway, uh, about the industry. Uh, and I think again, on the, uh, on the investment innovation side, that's where we're going to see really, really exciting things happen, uh, in, in the course of the coming months and years. Yeah, and I I wasn't uh, I hope I wasn't 
coming off as overly negative. I mean, all of the challenges affecting seafood companies right now are universal in the sense they're affecting other food companies and all sorts of companies. You know, it's supply chain. It's all the inflation. It's all the things we we know we've been struggling with as an industry over the last year in particular, or last two years, I guess. So we're not in, in some weird place that nobody else is. It's just, you know, I think all of us want this period to pass and get back to <laughs> – well, some semblance of what it was before 2020, you know. So, um, yeah. So I, I didn't want to come off as like Debbie Downer here. So <laughs> you mean you mean a grumpy old man? That's really what you don't want to come off. <laughs> Whatever. As, but it's 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 it is what it is, my friend. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we will be. Uh, in Boston coming up uh, with uh, our first Intrafish Leadership event so uh, that's just right around the corner Um, and uh, John you'll be at the National Fisheries Institute uh, event here in January so we'll be out and about so look for our reporters at upcoming events Uh, and then remember go to intrafish.com that's where uh, we're covering the sector uh, around the clock with um, just some, some great journalism we have a lot of really exciting things planned for the coming year so uh keep an eye there and we will speak to you next week Intrafish podcast is brought to you by DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, accelerating sustainable and profitable aquaculture.